0: Hi there, welcome to our Soul Food Broadcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. As a young doctor in India, Paul Brand had made the groundbreaking medical discovery that leprosy does its damage merely by destroying nerve endings. He discovered that people who lose pain sensation can inadvertently damage themselves by simple actions such as gripping a splintered rake or wearing tight shoes. Pressure sores form, infection sets in, and without pain signals to alert them to tend to the wounded area, Much damage could be done. Paul Brand knew what he was talking about. He writes, Most people view pain as an enemy. Yet as my leprosy patients prove, pain focuses us to pay attention to threats against our bodies. Without it, heart attacks, strokes, ruptured appendixes, and stomach ulcers would all occur without any warning. Who would ever visit a doctor apart from pain's warnings? He finishes his thoughts with these words, And so virtually every response of our bodies that we view with irritation or disgust, things such as a blister, swelling, fever, sneeze, a cough, and especially pain, demonstrates a reflex towards health. In all these things normally considered enemies, we can find reason to be grateful. That's not always easy to do, though, is it? Especially if your pain emanates from a broken heart. We looked last week at Hannah, a woman who was well acquainted with pain. We're going to see that even in her pain, she finds reasons to be hopeful. Look at verse 9 with me, please. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed will look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. The name Hannah means a woman of grace. And she did manifest grace in the way she dealt with her barrenness and Penina's attitude and cruel words. We know from last week that Elkanah was able to have children by Penina, so Hannah knew that the problem lay with her and not with her husband. It seemed unfair that a woman with Penina's ugly disposition should have so many children while gracious Hannah was childless. She also knew that only the Lord could do for her what he had did for Sarah and Rachel. But she had to wonder, why had God shut up her womb? We also learned last week that Penina would torture Hannah by constantly reminding her of her barren condition. You've heard that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There has never been a greater lie ever put to a rhyme. What do I mean? Even the worst broken bone will eventually heal. But a broken heart can linger for a lifetime. Now, to be fair, Penina knew Elkanah loved Hannah more. Even, her, even their husband practically showed this when during the annual sacrifice, he would give a portion of the food to Penina and her children. But verse 5 says he gave a double portion to Hannah. He was like, here, honey, I know you can't have any babies, but here's an extra pork chop for you. There, now, don't you feel a lot better? I reiterate what I said last week. Men can be a little thick. That's a nice gesture, but Hannah doesn't want food. She wants a baby. But you can be sure this didn't escape the attention of Penina. It's been said that hurting people hurt people. Penina was hurting too, but handling it poorly. No woman wants to be number two to her husband. Look at Hannah. Even with all the abuses coming from Penina... Not once did she, the scripture say that Hannah retaliated or tried to get even with her. So we'll see that Hannah was emotionally devastated, but she was still holding on to her faith. One of the most frustrating things about being a Christian can be knowing that God could do something to change our situation, but at the same time, God seems to be in heaven sitting on his hands. The thing is, when stripped down to the bare essentials, true prayer is not to get our will done on earth, but God's will done in heaven. So Hannah makes a vow in verse 11. The first book of Samuel opens with the cry of a godly woman. While the people cry for a king, Hannah cries for a child. And we will see that God will build the throne on a woman's cry. She begins the prayer by addressing God as the Lord of hosts. Trivia question. Who was the first person in the Old Testament to call God the Lord of hosts? It's right here in verse 11, and it's Hannah, a broken-hearted woman. You can't help but notice in the early part of that vow, the if you, then I statement. If you look, then I will. Now, usually in that kind of prayer, when someone says to God, if you, then I, you've got some degree of manipulation going on. It's the old fleece approach. Whenever I think of this, I always remember the words of Adrian Platz, who didn't want to go street witnessing, but being a good Christian, he put out a fleece just to be fair, fair. His fleece was, Lord, if at exactly 2.13 tonight, a Japanese midget in an admiral's uniform knocks on my door tomorrow, I'll go street witnessing. And like Mr. Plass, sometimes when people read this portion, they think that Hannah is trying to manipulate God, but I don't think that. She is not requesting a child from God to fulfill some kind of carnal desire. Her vow reveals that she wants more than a son from God. It reveals the reason she wants a son, and the reason she wants a son is so she can know what it feels like to give that son back to God to use however he sees fit. I believe God had taught Hannah deeply through these hours of struggle over her barrenness. So in great distress and with intense earnestness, she prays that God would have what he wanted, a man for his glory and his purposes, and that he would let her be the instrument of that blessing. We can tell her sincerity by the way she prayed. Her prayer has the following elements. She addressed God in terms that acknowledged His majesty, O Lord of hosts. She knew who God was. She approached God in terms that acknowledged her place before Him. She referred to herself as your servant. She then made a request known to God by asking God for what she deeply desired. She made her vow to God. She God grant Hannah her request, and she promised that the child would be given to the one who had given him to her. The sense in which Hannah will give him to the Lord is indicated in the words, No razor shall touch his head. Now she wasn't saying, Lord, if you just give me a son, I'll let him be a hippie and start the first Calvary Chapel. This appears to be a way of saying that he would be a Nazarite who was a person particularly dedicated to God's service. A Nazarite vow was normally for a set period of time. In this case, however, Hannah's child would be a Nazarite all the days of his life. So we see there is a tremendous spirituality behind her request. Having worked through years of barrenness and having thought deeply about their problems, she realized for the first time something she had never known before. She realized that children are not just for parents, they are for the Lord. They are given to parents, loaned for a while, but the reason they are given is for the Lord to use. Certainly, this account indicates that fact As the little boy who was ultimately born was God's man to meet the need of a nation. It would be wise that we would follow the example of Hannah in casting all our cares upon the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 invites a believer to cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The J.B. Phillips translation of that verse reads, You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him, for you are his personal concern. Let me ask this. How long does it take us to pray about stuff? How many days or weeks or months or years do we spend whining and crying and complaining about it before we take it to God in prayer? And when we finally do, do we take time to listen for the answer? It's almost like we treat God like a vending machine. We run up, pop in a quarter, and make our selection. We don't stick around long enough to ever get the wisdom he wants us to have. And my guess is that's because in the back of our minds, we know that if God doesn't make a way for us, we can usually make one on our own. But sometimes we know we can't make a way, no matter how hard we try. When the doctor says it's terminal, we can't make a way. When a child is prodigal, we can't make a way. And in Hannah's case, when we want a child but are barren, we can't make a way. But rather than a vending machine, we should view God more like a mentor who deserves to be studied and emulated. We need to be willing to wait for an answer rather than plying ahead blazing the path. And I'm not talking about a "God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food" kind of prayer. One of my fa- or my favorite version of that is, "Lord, where You lead me, I will follow. What You feed me, I will swallow." I'm talking about a heartfelt, passionate, what the Bible calls a fervent prayer. James five sixteen says, "The fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and can accomplish much." The word that is translated in English as fervent in the original Greek is the same word we get our word energy from. In other words, the energetic prayer of the righteous causes things to happen. Now, that doesn't mean you have to scream or yell or jump around for God to hear you. That's not what it means for a prayer to be energetic. Not that it's wrong if you like to pray that way. But I've witnessed some who pray in a subdued manner gets all kinds of results. And I've witnessed at the other end of the spectrum some people who I thought might need to be on some type of medication. But whatever your style, the important thing is sincerity when you pray. What it means is your prayer is heartfelt. It's not a going through the motions kind of prayer. It's also not a prayer for show. It's a prayer we talk to God about what's important to you like it's important to you. Now with all that said, we have to remember that God can say yes to our request. He can say no or he can say wait. The thing we have to come to terms with is if he says no, that's just as much an answer as if he had said yes. If he says wait, that's okay because that is exactly what is happening to Hannah. Maybe this will help us to remember. God can say yes or go as he has given us the green light. He can say no like a stop sign, or he can say slow as in the timing is not yet right. So go, no, or slow are all answers to prayer. Here she prayed, Lord, give me a son, I'll give him to you. And that's what God was waiting for. Previously, she most likely wanted a son to give to her husband. God, however, wanted a prophet to give to a nation. God had something much bigger and bolder, greater and grander in mind than Hannah did. Bill Stafford writes, Oh, thank God for holy desperation. Did you know that God never met a man that he couldn't get desperate? Go through the New Testament and see that every man and woman that Jesus healed or saved were desperate people. The only people that God couldn't work on was people like the rich young ruler. He was too proud, too self-sufficient, too able, rich young, and in need of nothing. But he also went away lost. I wonder if we can get desperate enough to let God do something in our lives, End quote. If you've prayed about your barren condition, if you're weeping bitter tears into your pillow, that's okay. It might be that God is simply waiting to get you into harmony with his heart, which means he wants to do something larger than your prayer. Verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. My mother used to say, boy, you better watch your mouth, which I would reply, I can't see my mouth. Further fortifying my nickname, Mean Little Billy. That's not what we're talking about. Verse 13. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I have not been drinking. She really didn't say it like that. She actually said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Notice his reaction, which is an insight into the condition of that day. We will find out later that the sons of Eli drank and partied there. Eli knew it, but had shut his eyes to it. He was an indulgent father. When Hannah prayed with such zeal in her heart, Eli thought she was drunk. Do you know why? It was because others had come drunk to the house of the Lord. Poor Hannah is just surrounded by sensitive men, isn't she? She is sandwiched between her, Hey, baby, you got me. What else could you possibly want husband? And the, Hey, lady, why don't you lay off the mad dog 2020 pastor? Look how insensitive the priest was. The one who was supposed to be ministering to her was condemning her, at best accusing her. He looked at her or watched her and formed a faulty opinion. This is where I go from teaching to intruding. Me thinks that a lot of times we look at people, people within the church, and we get the wrong impression. We sometimes believe that because people wear nice clothes at church and not a wrinkle in them, we're not so mature at Calvary Chapel, But you know what I mean, we think that they look good on the outside, they have the rest of their life in order. And that is just not always true, is it? If little bubbles popped over our heads like you do in cartoons when a cartoon character is speaking, and if in those bubbles people could see all our fears and all of our troubles, if those would ever be revealed to those talking to us, there would be bubbles all throughout this church building. And on the other hand, we can look at someone in church and their clothes might be wrinkled, their hair not combed, and if their relationship with the Lord is perfect, even if their clothes are not. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. It's significant that verse 12 says, She kept on praying to the Lord. This wasn't just a quick popcorn prayer. This was a repeated request bathed in tears. The story is told of a ship that was sinking. When it was evident the ship was going down, the captain called out to his crew, Does anyone here know how to pray? One man replied, I do. Good, the captain replied. You pray while the rest of us put on life jackets. We're one short. Hannah's ship was going down, but we read in First 1 Samuel 1.12 that Hannah did not give up on her dream. She kept on praying until she got her answer. When her husband, Edmund Gravely, died at the controls of his small plane while on the way to Statesboro, Georgia, his wife Janice kept the plane aloft for two hours until it ran out of fuel. During this time, she sang hymns and prayed for help. As the plane crossed the South Carolina and North Carolina border, she radioed for help. Help! Help! Won't somebody help me? My pilot is unconscious. Won't somebody help me? Authorities who picked up her distress signal were not able to reach her by radio during the flight. Do you know why? Because she kept changing the channels, Miss Gravely finally made it through a rough landing and crawled for 45 minutes to a farmhouse for help. Like that, I have to wonder how often we cry out for God, cry out to God for help, but switch channels before God's reply comes through. When the answer doesn't come immediately, how quickly we begin doubting and change channels by turning to other sources for help. When we cry out to God for His intervention, we have to learn not to switch channels. We need to learn to give the Lord time to answer and learn to listen to that still, small voice. C.S. Lewis writes, The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes of the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists of shoving it all back and listening to, what the, to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. Look at verse 17 with me. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of Him. And she and she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. I'm sure Eli felt pretty bad that he had misjudged Hannah, kind of like when someone says, Hey, when is your baby due? And it turns out they aren't pregnant. This was not the first time, nor will it be the last, that God's true servants have been mocked and falsely accused for actions which have been really pious and devout. If you resolve to be a Christian, indeed you must be prepared to be misunderstood. I tell young men going into the ministry that one of the things you have to accept going into it is you can do everything right and some people will still slander you and question your motives. Please note that after spending time in prayer, her face was no longer sad. She left her concerns with the Lord and now she's experienced the peace that passes all understanding. Notice it was the heartfelt, sincere prayer that got the answer. It wasn't the eloquent, loud, flashy, awe-inspiring prayer. It was a silent, is this girl nuts or drunk prayer that got the results. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart, said John Bunyan. And that's the way Hannah prayed. I wonder how many of us have a lot of words actually coming out of our mouth and very little out of our heart. Verse 19. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Cause I have asked him from the Lord. God answered her prayers and gave her conception, and when her child was born, it was a son whom she named Samuel. The Hebrew words say all means asked, and "Samuel" means heard, and El is one of the names for God. She so put that together, and Samuel means asked of God. All his life, Samuel was both an answer to prayer and a great man of prayer. In naming her baby, Hannah remembered that his delivery was in response to her prayer made nine months earlier. I'm convinced the biggest problem in our prayer lives is forgetting what we prayed for. When the answer to our prayer comes nine days, months, or years after we asked, we say wonderful, but forget it is an answer to what we were praying for previously. Forgetting what I prayed for previously causes me to think that God is not responding to my prayers presently. For example, in a moment of honesty before the Lord, I pray, Lord, there are some things in me that need to be changed. Make me a man who is broken before you and totally dependent on you. Lord, change me. And so he begins that process. But then three weeks later, I pray, Lord, I need to raise desperately. But the raise doesn't come. Why? Because God is still answering my prayer that I be dependent on him. Many years ago, shortly after I was saved, I prayed that God would do whatever he had to do in order for me to do whatever he wanted me to do. That's a dangerous prayer, by the way, and he's still answering that prayer 27 years later. Verse 21. Now the man Elkin and all his house went to offer to the Lord yearly sacrifice of of his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkin and her husband said to her, Do what seems best to you, Wait until you have weaned him, only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bowls, one ephah flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Just a quick comment on these verses. It seems weird to us that this kid is around three years old and still not weaned. But remember, this was long before the days of Gerber's baby food. And on a side note, it's a good thing babies can't remember back that far. They would be pretty upset that you made them eat that slimy, strained pea-carrot concoction. Almost done. Verse 25. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you there praying praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Considering the low level of spiritual life in Eli and the wicked ways of his sons, it took a great deal of faith for Elkan and Hannah to leave their innocent son in their care. But the Lord was with Samuel and would preserve him from the pollution around him. Just as God protected Joseph in Egypt, so he would protect Samuel in Shiloh and so he could protect your children and grandchildren in this present evil world. Let me ask you, parents, have you ever given your children back to God? Some of you are thinking, I'd like to give them back, but I didn't think God would take them back. If you haven't, I urge you to do that now. So we see in the end, Hannah's faith is really rewarded. While God doesn't promise to give us everything we pray for, He does make a promise that if we cling to it, it can change everything for us, even when He says no. As Charles Spurgeon has said, This is the best promise of life. It's found in Romans 8, and here's what it says. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. This is God's promise to you. And even if God hadn't given Hannah a child, he would have used her bearing condition to bear fruit in other areas of life. We all know that problems come in all shapes, sizes, and levels of intensity. Some are mind-numbing and earth-shaking. Others are small and insignificant. I've had my share of ups and downs in life, and they aren't over. As long as we're breathing air, we're going to have good days and bad days. And sometimes the bad days can be really bad. But consider this. What if you knew it would all turn out well, whatever you're facing this morning? What if this promise of Romans 8.28 really is more than a cliché? What if it really worked? What if it always worked? What if there were no problems beyond its reach? Would that make a difference to you? In closing, we can feel sad that Hannah is going to give up her long-awaited son Samuel. She probably thought he would be her one and only baby. But if chapter 2, verse 21 tells us that Elkanah and Hannah had an additional three sons and two daughters. What Hannah doesn't realize is that she will have many more sons and daughters. That reminds us that whenever we do things God's way, he will do immeasurably more than all we can ask, think, or imagine. And that is the beauty of God's wondrous power and grace to us who believe and have faith in him.